hopefully you've received your outline for today's lesson and also uh, the comparative belief chart we've placed in all the seats. We have a hundred of those. If we need to get more, we can, uh, we can always get some more. Um, so we sent this uh, request to NAM, the North American Mission Board, and we thought they were $2 a piece. They're actually $15 a piece. So I'm just kidding. They're free. They're actually free. Good morning, Kyle. Amen. Let's get going. All right. Um, so they're free. You can take them and just uh, use them. We will have a quiz on them next week. How's that? Memorize all of that? Just kidding. There's a lot of information there. In fact, I find myself, you know, going to that in my file in my office and saying, now, what did, what did the Jehovah Witnesses say about that? Pull it up. Look. Okay, th there it is. And it's not an exhaustive um, you know, doctrinal statement by any means, but it does help you. And, and by the way, <clears throat> if you want to look for something more exhaustive and more definitive, go to www.fortruth.net. For the, le the number four, <laughs> the letter four, uh, the number four, and then truth.net. Thank you, Brother Mark. And it's very extensive, and it tells you um, what the different cults, sects, religions believe, and how you as a believer in Christ can witness to them. So that's a very helpful uh, resource, www.fortruth.net. Here's, here's a thought I had as we, uh, as we get going uh, this morning. As we do, Mike, would you just stand up and pray for us, brother, and just ask God's blessings and favor on us? thought I had this morning was, you know, when you go overseas and you teach or, or you preach in some of these, um, like, pastor's conferences, they tell you, now, listen, after you speak, these pastors and these lay leaders are going to take your sermon. It's like refried beans. They're going to preach it all over their area, their community. And I thought, you know, that's pretty cool. And, and I thought, why don't we do the same thing with this class? You take these notes. <clears throat> so, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. Nope. Take these notes, and as God gives you opportunity, you never know. Somebody may come to you and say, why don't you give a devotion on prayer today? And you can say, oh, where do I start? Well, you could start right here if you wanted to. You could go, you call up, get my notes if you want to, and just it's all outlined and broken down. And, um, and basically, that's what I've done with the big book over there, uh, Systematic Theology. I have not created the outlines. I have not created the material. I'm just uh, using it as a textbook and then adding, you know, as I go along, so, <clears throat> you know, you, you never know. Or God could use this class to begin to equip you to be a teacher. He wants you to teach. He wants you to take this knowledge, this information, 
and share it in a forum where you can actually teach and encourage. You say, well, I'm not an expert. I'm not either. You know, I, I think sometimes we sell ourselves so short. We know more gospel than, than probably we'll ever share. And so don't be intimidated. Don't be shy. If the Holy Spirit starts speaking to you to witness to somebody, you do it. Or if he starts speaking to you and says, hey, why don't you start this new Bible life class? Why don't you start this new small group and say, well, Lord, I don't, don't say, Lord, I just don't know if I can do it. You can do it. If you sit through this class for two semesters and you get out of here and say, well, brother, they didn't teach me nothing. I don't know. I don't have anything to share. I'll just be sad. I'll just be real sad if that happens. <laughs> have confidence in the Lord. Have confidence in yourself that you can do whatever he's called you to do. All right, now, this, this week we're going to pick up with our lesson on the doctrine of creation, which is one of my favorite doctrines to study. By the way, I love studying the doctrine of creation, this amazing cosmos, this universe that God spoke uh, into existence. And we were just about through with our lecture, and uh, we're going to go to number four, which is concluding ideas or thoughts about creation and evolution. I have just a few of these I want to kind of you know, summarize, recapitulate kind of where we've been, and then just launch right into this next doctrine, which is wonderful, wonderful. We get to study today on the doctrine of prayer. And you say, well, that's such a huge, um, a huge subject, and, and so we'll try to narrow it down. But let, let's finish up on creation, uh, first of all. Here's some concluding thoughts. Number one is the gap theory, G-A-P. And maybe, maybe you've heard this. Maybe you heard about this in college, or especially if you went to a Bible college, they may give you this definition of gap theory. It's, this is where you take Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, okay? And then you got Genesis 1-2, and they say, but wait a minute, after Genesis 1-1, there is a billions and millions and billions of year gap between verse 1 and verse 2. And so God you know, he created it in, in verse 1, but it was, you know, darkness was covering the earth. And, and they, those that have the gap theory believe that darkness there means it, it's evil almost. That it's just formless and shapeless and evil. And so then, after billions, millions of years, Genesis 1, 2, and then God creates everything and brings life and order and humanity. And then you have the fall of man and so forth. And so you've got this millions, if not billions of year gap. Now, the problem with that is... Nowhere in Scripture does it ever say there are two creations. There's only one creation. There's not one here, and then billions of years later, God creates again. So that, that's one thing. Um, God created everything on earth in these... Uh, uh, like according, to, according to the Scripture, there's a flow, that He created everything in, in, a, in a certain sequence, in a flow. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't give much credence um, to this, uh, especially with the idea that the first creation was, was evil. I have a really difficult time with that. And, and the other one, it just seems that the logical flow would be that verse 2 <laughs> comes after verse 1 in a relatively brief time frame. Okay, so this is a, y'all know what this is. This is an opportunity, or this is a, these are Christians usually, or theists, who are trying to put creation and evolution together. They don't, they don't want them to be enemies. They want them to be friends. So they're trying to have the best of both worlds. And usually when that happens, you, you you, you mess up both worlds, okay? And I think that's what's happening with the, with the gap there. Let me read you Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. It says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he hallowed it. So that just seems to be a flow, just a sequence there. And um, 
So, but anyhow, I think you ought to at least hear about it, know about it. Uh, number two, or B, is the age of the earth and mankind. Now, here you've got huge diversity. Uh, the age of the earth and the age of, of, of man. Some would say millions, if not billions of years old. And, and then you've got the younger earth, say, well, maximum 10 to 20,000 years, years of, uh, is the age of, age of the earth. Um, years ago, when I was just studying this material and I was beginning to just put it in my mind, I was teaching evangelism at Southeastern Seminary, and, and I just happened to turn the TV on, and uh, there was this big conference in Cambridge University, and uh, Stephen Hawking was the, uh, was the guest, guest speaker. You, y'all know who he is, right? Brilliant uh, physicist, brilliant scientist, sits in the wheelchair, you know, speaks through the computer-generated uh, device, and he made a statement that I just thought, that just baffles me, and it takes such incredible faith, though he's not a man of faith, what he said it has so many presuppositions of faith. He said these words through his computer-generated thing. 3.5 billion years ago. That's how he speaks, right? Because he can't, he can't speak normally. He said, 3.5 billion years ago, the cell appeared. That's what he said. 3.5 billion years ago, the cell appeared. And, you know, that's what we were talking about last, last week, that, you know, we, we believe God created, you know, the cell. And, and I, I mentioned last week Philip Johnson as he was uh, talking to one of his colleagues at UCAL, Berkeley, and he he literally made this statement. He said, Philip, you give me the cell, and you can have the rest of it, okay? And Johnson replied, he said, now, come on now. After the cell was designed, you know, everything comes about. Does it it not make sense that the cell was designed also? And they're like, no, I don't don't want to go there. Just just give me the, the cell in a... Somehow it just appeared, and then you can have the, uh, the rest of it. So young earth say, well, we believe God created it and created it according to Genesis. The world is not millions and billions of years uh, age, but it is, uh, it, it is younger. And what about the dinosaurs? Let's talk about those creatures for a minute. Um, the dinosaurs. And, you know, in this museum that Ken Ham has built up in Cincinnati, uh, they have replicas of dinosaurs. They have all kinds of interesting data and uh, replicas, and so dinosaurs, they say, scientists say, died out 65 million years ago um, through two primary reasons, that asteroids killed them or there was dramatic climatic change, climate change, so they died out. And then man appears 2.5 million years uh, later. Uh, but young earth people don't have any issue with this because they say we have found evidence where, like in Glen Rose, Texas, you find evidence of dinosaurs and mankind living at the same, at the same time. Young earth people also say that, um, that on the sixth day, God created the, the dinosaurs. And so you, there's really not an incompatibility there. It is for some because they say, well, the world is millions and millions of years of age and the dinosaurs died out 65 million years ago. And young earth people were like, you know, they'll go to scriptures like, well, look in the Levithian, or that huge monster in the book of Job. Some people see that. Oh, that's a crocodile, an alligator. But others see it more as one of these humongous, ginormous uh, dinosaurs. So I'm just kind of giving you an overview, trying to give you a, a, what is it? Is it Fox or CNN? A fair and balanced report. Okay? So, so that's all we're trying to do, trying to give you a fair and balanced report. Now, it's interesting because y- y'all are listening to me talk and y'all are kind of understanding which side I lean. I do not lean on the millions and millions and billions and billions of years. I lean more toward the young earth. Now, Grudem, if you're reading him, he does just the opposite. He'll lean more, and you can see his struggle. It's almost like 
He wants to believe, literally, Genesis, Yom, Y-O-M, is the Hebrew word for day. And, and there's a real part of him that wants to just say, that's, that's just the way it is. And then you see him back away from it. Then he'll come back, and you see this, this angst in, in the author. And I don't know that I disagree with him a lot in this book. I've read about half the book. But this is one area that, 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 that I do take a little bit of issue and, and would disagree. So let's finish up with the young or the old earth. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. The Hebrew word, the key word is yom, Y-O-M. I think the most literal, natural translation of yom is day, a 24-hour period day. Now, Grudem goes to great lengths to say, no, not so fast, my friend. It, it could mean a longer period of time, but... When you look at Genesis 1.5, 1.8, 1.13, 1.19, 1.23, one it states, and there was evening and there was morning the first, help me, day. It really looks like Moses is trying to say this is a 24-hour day, or why would it say evening and morning? And then there is the word then. Are you with me? T-H-E-N. And this is in verse 3, 6, 9, 11, 14, 16, 20, 24, 26, and 28. And then, and then, and then, it's, it, <laughs> I forgot who it was that said, uh, wouldn't it be interesting to say that um, God created the plants and the birds, and then millions and millions of years ago, he created the sun. Then how could the plants and the birds live if the sun's not there to sustain them, and, but that's what, according to Genesis, that's the order, okay? The, the two lights, the two lights, you know, they come after the sun and the moon, and so I, you're going to have some issues, some problems with this if you, if you look at it that way. One of the things Gruden points out is, and I, I think this is interesting, I've always given credence to this, and by the way, I'm not an expert on this. I'm a novice, really a novice creationist. I, I study and I, I know a lot, but there's a whole lot more that I don't know. Did y'all hear me say that? There's a whole lot more that I don't know. And if you ask me a question and I don't know the answer, I've got a great answer for it. I don't know. You know, I don't know. Uh, but I can help you. We can research together. We can, we can look. Is that God created the earth with an appearance of age. Okay? That it looks a whole lot older than it really is. Now, how does that make sense? God created, he didn't create an infant Adam, did he? He created full-grown Adam. So Adam is a day old, but in reality, he's many, many years old. Same thing with the trees, same thing with some of the, the, the planets and the starlight and that sort of thing. It gives the, if God just spoke it relatively a few thousand years ago and he just spoke our earth into existence, well, it has the appearance that it's a whole lot older than it is, but in reality, it's not that old. Does that help you any? Do, do you grasp that? That's, Gruden brings that out and. I've seen this brought out in my studies many, many times. He also talks about um, the importance of flood, the flood geology. Flood geology. Now, these guys, Ken Ham, John Morris, uh, his son, the Institute of Creation Research guys out of Dallas, they, these guys, uh, Henry Morris is another one. Um, but they, you know, Henry Morris is an interesting guy. He, is, he was the head of the Department of Engineering at Virginia Tech University, one of our great universities. And this guy was brilliant, and I think he's since deceased. He wrote a book called The Revelation Record, 
and he wrote a book called The Genesis Record. And I've read both of those books, and they're, they're fascinating. He would say, listen, I'm a layman, and he believes that this earth is definitely young, and he attributes a lot of the cataclysmic destruction, the Grand Canyon, those kind of things, to, the, to Noah's flood. And it's interesting because this guy knows more geology and knows more chemistry and physics than, than I would ever know, okay? So he's, he's coming from a standpoint of a Ph.D. in science who's very reputable. And by the way, these friends of Ken Ham's, he's got these guys that have doctorates in Penn State. He has these Ph.D. people from everywhere, and they're saying, no, listen to me, I'm telling you, this earth is not that old. And I can demonstrate to you through science, and they use, a lot of times their argument goes back to the Noahic uh, flood, okay? Good morning. That's it, okay? So November the 3rd, um, boy, I can't wait. To, did I tell you I was excited about November the 3rd? I told you a little bit. I talked to the guy yesterday from Answers in Genesis, and... And I said, okay, I just want to make sure I get things straight here in my mind that Ken Ham's going to come and, and he's going to speak. And so we're going to, and so we, we basically come to this conclusion. We're going to do about 10 minutes of worship, 10, 15 minutes at the most. Ken Ham's going to start speaking at 11.10 or 11.15, and he's going to go to 12.10 or 12.15. Solid. He said, now, if you do that, and you're a Southern Baptist, he will rise up and call you blessed. He'll want to hug your neck. Evidently, evidently not every church is like ours, Vivian. They, maybe they preach a few minutes, you know. And, but, but I said, listen, I preach 58 minutes Sunday. That's no big deal. I mean, they're, they're, they're used to that. Now, half of them are asleep. You know, they're passed out. But it's really not a big deal. I want to make you a promise. I don't make many promises, but you will not fall asleep on this guy. He has these, this PowerPoint presentation. He'd probably do some clips from different... Uh, resources, and you'll, you'll, you'll rush back Sunday night at 6 o'clock to hear him. Now, Sunday night, we're not going to sing any. We're just going to come in, good morning, pray, and Ken will come and preach an hour and 20 minutes, okay? And then he said, I just hang around and answer questions. And so I'd really encourage you to, to go up to him and ask him uh, any question that you, ha you have for him. Now, he, he is brilliant. I mean, he's given his life to the study of God's creation, and he's assembled an amazing team of people. And by the way, he's the guy up in Cincinnati. I think they got like 800 acres right off the main thoroughfare there, and they're building a replica of Noah's Ark, and it is absolutely amazing. I mean, they're building an ark replicated according to the dimensions in the, in the Scripture. He, he's fascinating. You, you're not going to agree with everything. Listen, guys, I haven't met anybody that I've agreed with completely on everything. There's only one person that I agree with everything he did, everything he said, everything he is, and what is his blessed name? It's Jesus, okay? So you, you, it's okay to disagree. It's okay to dialogue. I, like I said last time, we're funny people, us Christians. We, we say we love each other, and yet, man, we get veins popping red in the face over the, how things began <laughs> and how things are going to end. But we can agree to disagree. That's, that's okay. In fact, I think that's where we, uh, we, we learn the most is in those, those times of dialogue. Okay? If you have a thought, hold on to it. Just maybe a question, tuck it away there in the cerebrum somewhere and let us segue right into uh, lecture number five, which is on the doctrine of prayer. Okay? The doctrine of prayer. And oh, man, so honored, so blessed of the Lord to be able to take a few minutes 
and to share with you about this pristine doctrine of prayer. Now, this is pages 48 through 52 in the book Christian Beliefs. And if you're reading the big book, Systematic, it's pages 376 to 96. Okay, so it gives 20 pages to the doctrine of prayer. And I'm, I like the way he unpacks this. And I'm serious, guys. If you're ever asked to teach on prayer, or if you're, if you're overseas, you're with Brother Mike, and they... Listen, anything can happen overseas. And they can just turn to you and say, you've got to talk, you've got to share, and then you just whip out your lesson on prayer. You know what I'm saying? Or you just whip out your lesson on whatever it is, and you just, you just share, it, share it with them. I, I really take this Radiant Church inward discipleship incredibly seriously. I do. You say, well, you'd have to, to get up at old dark 30 on a Thursday morning and teach, and, and I guess you would too, to get up at old dark 30, because there is something about worshiping God with our minds, being able to give an answer uh, for the, the hope that lies within us. And so I, I just, I just, I love it. So foundational, so rudimentary to our faith is the Word of God and, and prayer. Every year when Vince Lombardi was coaching, uh, help me out, who did he coach? The Green Bay Packers, or at least I know he coached them. Uh, the Lombardi Trophy awarded each year to the Super Bowl victor. Lombardi, every, um, I guess it would be in the summer when they're about to do their uh, summer uh, practices, getting ready for their fall season. He would take a football and he'd, give it, he'd look at the men and say, men, excuse me, excuse me, look at it this way. He'd say, this is a football. And those guys, you know, would look at him. And he would, he would treat them as if they had never played the game before. And he goes, and this is the basics of football. Here's what you do in football. You block, you tackle. You'd, and he, they would go like, has this guy lost his mind? But he would do that every year. And it helped them refocus that if you miss the fundamentals, if you miss the basics of blocking and, and, and tackling and running your routes with precision, if you miss those things, you're not going to be victorious. And I think the same thing is true in Christianity. If we are not mastering the basics, the basic axioms of our faith, such as the scriptures and and, and prayer, and witnessing, and tithing, and church. If we, if, we, if we compromise on those, how are we going to be effective, dynamic, glowing believers for Christ if we don't have a sure, sturdy foundation? Are you with me? I'm telling you guys, eh, bad grammar, but there ain't no way to be a victorious, vivacious child of God. I mean, you're on fire unless you do this, unless you master this discipline of prayer, okay? So we're going to talk about it today for a few minutes, and we may even sound uh, a little preachy in the, in the process. All right, so when I was studying in, in, in seminary and taking my, one of my very first classes in seminary, it was called Spiritual Formation for Ministry. And it was like Bruce Leafblad would say, gentlemen, this is a football. And I was kind of offended by that a little bit. I've already got a bachelor's degree in religion, and here I am, ready to get my master's degree. And what is so, what it was, was I was having my quiet time. I'd pray about five minutes a day. Okay. Have you ever noticed that people that get the, they're really the ones in sin. You ever notice that? They got that haughtiness, got that arrogance about them. And I had that. And I was like, what is this? I'm here to learn Greek and Hebrew, baby. Give it to me. Why are you making me study the discipline of prayer. I mean, yes, we all pray. And I'd pray maybe five minutes a day as a, as a pastor, as a ministerial student, you know. Oh, Bruce Lee, Vlad, put the slam 
down. Thank you, ma'am, on us. I mean, he come in there, all six foot six of him, huge man, wingspan of about 18 feet. I mean, he was just this huge behemoth of a guy. And he came in there, and I'm telling you, that class radically changed my life. In fact, it changed me so much at the age of, how old was I, 21. Uh, graduated college, got married, started graduate school at 21. And after that uh, semester, I was, uh, I was forever changed. Because he, would, he told us, if you want to make an A in my class, you have to pray an hour a day. Oh, bring it on. I mean, I'll do anything for an A. I mean, I'm just, I'm just wired that way. And then I thought, wait a minute. An hour a day? You can't pray an hour a day. That's impossible. So he takes us through this semester of the importance of prayer, and not just talking about prayer, but actually being a man, a woman of prayer. And he showed us the acts, you know, the adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, taught us how to keep a prayer journal. And, um, and, and by the time that class was over, I think my life and the rest of the course of my ministry was set because God got me early and said, no man preaches any better than he prays. You can do many things after prayer, but you can't do nothing of spiritual substance until you pray, okay? So this is a fantastic thing that he has taken this entire chapter and dedicated it to pray, prayer. So why pray? God is sovereign. He knows everything. So why in the world would we pray? That is a very good question, by the way. If God is sovereign... And God knows what is going to happen. Why do we pray? I'm going to give you two very good reasons. Number one, God told us to. Okay? He commanded us to pray. And number two, God showed us how to pray. Because Jesus was the God-man. And he was a person absolutely of prayer. Furthermore, prayer is based on a relationship. Um, and that's important. It's based on a two-way communication between two people who love each other. And Bruce Leafblad would use the word tryst. And that made me blush a little bit. I was like, what do you mean tryst? Because I always thought of tryst as some kind of, you know, illicit affair, you know, some kind of thing, you know, sexual overtones and stuff. And I was like, well, what does that mean? He goes, no. He says tryst in the purest sense of the word is a meeting of two lovers. The lover of your soul and your soul loves him. And you have this daily tryst. You have this daily time of, of communion and fellowship with each other. And, 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 and prayer is, is our part. It's where we, we talk, uh, talk to God. And God talks to us through the scriptures. And also God talks to us through Im impressions. You know, prayer to me in my spirit is like water is to my, to my body. When I was, Mike, I was on this mission trip in India, and I was sitting there, and I was about to get up and preach, and I was literally sitting down. Oh, that feels so good right there. Hey, Amen. Hold on. I'm getting too old to all these weights. You know, I'm training, so I've got to lighten up a little bit. So I'm sitting there, and I start going like this. I'm going, oh, goodness, something's hurting me. And I was like, oh, I never felt pain like this before. And I was about to get up and preach. And... Uh, the pharmacist was with us, and he was looking at me, you know, and he's going, what is wrong with you? I said, I don't know. He said, I bet you got a urinary tract infection. I said, oh, mercy. I said, what is that? You know, he says, well, that's not good. He said, let me go get you some medicine. <laughs> and so he goes and gets me some antibiotics. Well, it helped me, but I didn't have a urinary tract infection. I had something else. And see the men folk in here, the male gender. Y'all know, know what I'm talking about? Okay, it's so this thing called prostatitis. And it gets an infection in your prostate. And so I take these antibiotics, and I'm like, okay, I'm great. I come back, and this time I was living in Arkansas, and I come back, and it's working and ministering, and I was like, 
Oh, goodness, here it is again. I would go get more dose of antibiotics. And then I go back, and, and, and I get off the antibiotics, and I start hurting again. I'm like, what is the deal? And I, then I start getting nervous. You know? And then you have the prostate exam, which I don't bless anybody that has that thing. Amen. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, what is the deal? And it was uh, not until Dr. Murray from Great Hills Baptist Church was the one who set me free. He's the one that told me. I'm going to tell you how to take care of this. I said, I'll rise up and call you blessed. What is it? He said, water. I said, come again. <laughs> now, can I tell you all this? The Holy Spirit had been impressing me, drink water, drink water, drink water. And I was like, I, I know. I, 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 Lord, I know I should. Then I'd say, okay, I'll drink a glass of water. And, and it's like the Lord saying, no, you've got to drink a lot more water than that. And I, I wouldn't listen to him. Not that any of y'all have ever done that. Okay, none of you have ever heard the Lord speak, and you just obeyed him right then, right then. And so Dr. Murray says, if you'll drink a lot of water every day, you will not have a prostate problem. And y'all, I drink, I don't know how much, but it is a ton of water every day, and it, it cleans me out. You know, prostate's tucked back there, it's too tiny, and that's why the antibiotics can't hardly get to it, but water gets to it. Prayer is water to me. It just cleans me out. It just flushes me out spiritually. Listen, I can't be angry at somebody and pray unto God. I can't be not forgiving somebody and pray unto God. I cannot be walking at a guilty distance with God and, and, and pray unto God. They are incompatible. They're impossible. If you're a man or a woman of faith and a man or woman of spirituality, then you are a person of prayer. Mm, listen to me. I'm not talking about just praying. I'm talking about praying a lot. Spending time with God where you etch out those moments and those, those times uh, with Him. Let's talk about the power of prayer, okay? Number one, God answers our prayers. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad He answers your prayers? God answers our prayers. The Bible says in Acts 7, I mean, excuse me, Matthew 7, 7 through 8, Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For anyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door is open. Those are the words of Christ in Matthew 7, 7 and 8. In Exodus 32, God was going to destroy Israel. Do you all remember that? And somebody came in between Israel and Almighty God, and they said, oh, please, Lord, don't do this. Who was that? That was Moses. He's going, Lord, please. And the Bible says God changed his mind. God relented. Now, I know God does not change in His essence, in His being, in His perfections. He is immutable. We talked about that. But God does relate to us. And God's the one who told us to do this anyhow, to pray. And so the Bible says, you can relate it, He relented. He did not destroy them because of the prayers of Moses. How many of y'all know this verse? We'll put it on the screen. 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and what? And pray. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. What is the, the opposite of that? If my people who are called by my name do not pray, do not seek my face, do not humble themselves, then, then God's not going to heal our land. He's not going to forgive our sin. And so prayer really does change things. I mean, God's inviting us to pray, and there are blessings to be received through prayer but only if we ask. And Wayne Grudem at this point says, if we were really convinced, he gets kind of preachy sometimes, y'all. I just want to tell y'all. He, he kind of gets up in my spiritual life a little bit, you know. And he, 
He's, he's powerful. He said, if we really were convinced that prayer changes the way God acts and that God does bring about remarkable changes in the world in response to prayer, as Scripture repeatedly teaches that He does, then we would pray much more than we do. If we pray little, it is probably because we do not really believe that prayer accomplishes much at all. Isn't that true? We really don't pray a lot because we're kind of, we're kind of atheistic. We're a little bit of atheists at that point. Have you, for example, have you ever prayed and, and God responded and you went, wow! 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 And God's like, hello? Didn't you ask me for that? And you're like, yeah, I know, I asked you, but wow! You know, you know God, God answers. There's a beautiful example of this in Scripture. I don't know if, I'll go to the book of Acts. Anybody remember this story? Uh, Peter is in prison. And the early church is praying, praying, God, get Peter out of prison. An angel comes, gets him out of prison. He knocks on the door, and they're like, that can't be Peter because we're praying for him, you know, back here in the room. And he goes, no, it's, it's, it's me. God heard, your, God heard your prayers. I think we would see many more supernatural acts of God if we prayed, really prayed, and prayed like we meant it, and prayed in faith because God answers prayer. He likes to. He enjoys answering prayer. And I think about us as as fathers who have children and mothers who have children. And, you, you know, just think about them. If they seek our face, if they love us and they try to please us, what human father or mother would not want to grant them their petition or, or what they requested? And, of course, Scripture says, if we, being evil, know how to good give good gifts, how much more does the Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Number two, or B, is Jesus makes prayer possible. You read 1 Timothy 2, 5, it says he is our mediator, the God-man between God and man. He is our mediator. He is the one that brings us into the divine presence because in our own, we have no righteousness. We have no ability to enter into God's presence. But through the blood of Jesus and through his life, he makes access. And I was reading just this morning. I know it was early, but I was reading just this morning, Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16, where it talks about... And let us come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And Hebrews is all about the high priestlyhood of Jesus Christ. He enters into the Holy of Holies. He sheds His blood for us. He rises from the dead. He opens up the floodgates of, uh, of eternal life. And we come right in His train. That's how, we, that's how we enter into the very presence of God in heaven is through Jesus Christ. And if that's true then it's the same thing here on earth. The way we enter into God's presence and our fellowship with Him is through Christ. Let me tell you something, guys. I watched something yesterday on uh, DVD. I'm like, oh, my goodness. It's Billy Graham's new material out on uh, My Hope with Billy Graham, and the DVD has come out, and there, it is absolutely powerful. There's a section there called The Cross, and for 30 minutes, he walks you through the importance of the cross and he gives testimony of people's lives that have been changed through the power of the cross. It's one of the most powerful things um, I've ever seen. Okay, so Jesus makes prayer uh, uh, possible. What about those who do not know God? Does God hear their prayers? Let's talk about that for a minute. Because we, 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 I get this question a lot. Have you ever gotten that question? That's a good question. That's why I like Grudem. He's not afraid of the hard questions. Now, here's how Grudem answers this question. God hears everything. <laughs> He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. 
He's omnipotent. There's nothing God does not see. There's nothing that God does not hear. So, yes, God hears the prayers of the unbeliever. Okay, now that's not what I meant. Does God answer the prayers of the unbeliever? Grudem's answer may surprise you. He says, in some cases, yes. Just as a token of his benevolence and his mercy, on occasion, he may just answer the prayer uh, of the unbeliever. God does not promise to answer their prayers. This is him talking. God does not promise to answer their prayers, but he does promise to hear and answer the prayers of his people, okay, through the mediator, uh, Jesus Christ. All right, how about praying in Jesus' name? Let's talk about this for a few minutes. Uh, praying in Jesus' name, John 14, 13 and 14. I want to read that text to you, and then I'm going to read John 16, okay? John 14, 13 and 14. And whatever you ask, what's that say, next part? In my name. Some of y'all are going, oh, is that why we say at the end of the prayer, in Jesus' name? Yeah, that's why. Though no prayer in Scripture is ever closed with, in Jesus' name. Did you know that? There's no prayer in Scripture that closes with, in Jesus' name. So is it wrong to pray a prayer and end it in Jesus' name? No, because Jesus said, and whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And then John 16, 23. And in that day, you will, not, you will ask me nothing. In that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, Okay, now, now, whatever you ask the Father, in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. You say, well, why don't we pray? Because God told us to. And God delights in hearing, you know, Brian's going to college now. You know, I miss that boy. I mean, I go to that room, that room, he just got one boy in there, not two boys in there, you know. And uh, I miss seeing him, and, I, and I, miss, uh, I miss hanging out with him. Welcome to fatherhood, the hard part of fatherhood. And when he calls, man, I get excited. And it says, Brian, Porsche, I'm like, mm, no, I got, I got something to do, and I'll push the button like I do when y'all call me. I just push the button, you know, and put it down. Just kidding. No, 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 really, you think about it, that is my son. And he's going, hey, Dad, I'm like, hello, what's going on? You need money? That don't matter. I send you money. Will you, what else you need? Man? I get, y'all get that? That is a dad. That is a dad who loves his children. Hallelujah. How much more? Here you are, Leona. You're on your knees up to God. And God says, oh, it's you again. Oh, mercy. What do you want this time, honey? No. He says, there's my precious child that I created in my image and she wants to talk to me and God is delighted. You're like, well, how does God talk to her and he's talking to you and everybody else at the same time? He is God. He is omnipotent. I don't know. I can't talk to two people at the same time. I lose my mind. I just go, blah, 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 you know, and I can't. Have y'all ever tried to talk to somebody on the telephone and your wife's talking to you at the same time? I get nervous. I actually get upset and I'll just say, I said, would you, could you be quiet for just a minute? Then I look at Ashton and go, okay, hold on just a second. I'm not going to tell her to be quiet. I'm like, I, I, can't, I can't hear two, two people. God hears everything, and God wants us. He wants us. He invites us uh, to talk to him 
and pray to him in his son's uh, name. When we pray in his name, we are praying, listen to this, in his authority. We're praying in his character. And when we pray, we take on his character. Prayer is a conversation between two people who know one another very well. And in prayer, we don't use, Grudem says, and I quote, certain formulas or required words in our conversation. It would be kind of freaky if I would talk to you like the way we talk to God sometimes. Because we have this rote, memorized praying. And that's exactly the way the Pharisees prayed, and Jesus obliterated that. He says, don't talk to God like that. You think because of your long, rote, memorized prayers, God's going to hear you. No, talk to him. Just talk to him like you would talk to a friend. You know, Herb and I, we just started talking. Oh, Herb, how art thou in this day today? And I, how are you? And you think, what, you lost your mind? You don't talk to a friend like that. But we're like, oh, God, thank you for this. And like, you know, no, he says, talk to him uh, as, a, as a friend, though he is God. Most of the prayers are addressed to God the Father in the Scriptures, but some of them are addressed to Jesus. However, none of them are addressed to the Holy Spirit which I just find these little tidbits of theology interesting. I don't, I don't know if y'all find that stuff interesting. Most of the time, God the Father is the one addressed in prayer, but on occasion, Jesus is addressed in prayer. Okay, for the former, how about this? Who prayed this prayer in Matthew 6, 9? Our Father who art in heaven. Who prayed that? Jesus prayed that. See, he's not praying to the Holy Spirit, not praying to himself, he's praying to the Father. But here are some examples where we find in the New Testament of people praying directly to Jesus, all right? Acts 1.24, the early church. They're praying directly to him. You can read that in the context. Stephen, in Acts 7.59, he's being martyred for his faith. He prays directly to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 12.8, who asked Jesus directly three times that this thorn of the flesh would be removed? Apostle Paul. Revelation 22.20, the church says, Come, Lord Jesus. Okay, it's Asking him to, to come. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit and, and prayer. What about praying, for example, to the Holy Spirit? There are no prayers in Scripture directed to the Holy Spirit, but there's no reason why we, we shouldn't. Sometimes I do that. I direct my prayers to him uh, specifically. He is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son are. And again, I'm, I'm sharing some of Grudem's thoughts here, but they're also my belief that we can call out to him, oh, oh, Spirit of God, would you move today in our service? May you convict him. I'm talking to him. Oh, Spirit of God, anoint me as I'm about to preach your awesome word. I, 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 think, it's, I think it's perfectly theologically correct. Romans 8, 26 and 27 talks about the Spirit's role in, in prayer. It talks about how he... Well, let, let me read it to you. He, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses... For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Have anybody ever been there? Your heart ever been so broken? Or your mind ever been so cluttered? Or have you ever been so mad? You just, you, you just can't verbalize what's on your mind and what's on your heart. Here comes the Holy Spirit. He makes sense of it. Okay? But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now before you go to the next sentence, let me, let me stop right there. Grudem says the groanings which cannot be uttered is our prayer as our prayers. He's saying our prayers are groanings that cannot be uttered, and the Holy Spirit comes and makes sense of that to the Father. 
But I want you to think about it like this. A natural reading, it says, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings. Now, I understand where Grudem's coming from, but I also understand where the text is coming from. It's saying the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with, with groanings. And, but you can look at groanings like with, with passion. You know, the Spirit is interceding for us with, with passion, okay? He's, he's verbalizing what's in our mind and our hearts that we just really can't get out. Oh, listen to this. When you don't feel like praying is the time you ought to pray the most. Okay? Because in those moments, you're like, oh, and I don't even know. And the Holy Spirit starts working, and He starts verbalizing, He starts packaging, He starts making sense, and He intercedes for us in, in prayer. Now, He who, we can roll it now, searches the hearts, knows what, is, what the mind of the Spirit is, because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And He, and he does. Praying in the Spirit. How about that? The Bible talks about Ephesians 6.18 and Jude 20. What does it mean to pray in uh, the Spirit? Um, some people make a, a, a lot out of that. and call it a, maybe a prayer language, uh, that it's an unintelligible prayer language, almost like a spiritual gift. And, you know, I'm not knocking that. I don't have that. I know our former president of our International Mission Board does, Rich, uh, Rankin, Jerry Rankin. He said, this is something between me and the Lord. It's a prayer language. I'm just praying to him in this... And some people interpret it that way. Grudem, not so much. He says, this just simply means praying in the Spirit means that we are aware of the Spirit's presence in our praying, and He is sanctifying our prayers. He is involved in our prayers. And so every prayer, in reality, is in the Spirit. It's in the Spirit as, he, as Jesus makes intercession for us with the Father. So does the, so does the Holy Spirit. All right, some important matters related to prayer. Let's, let's talk about some of these things as we wrap up this morning. <clears throat> important matters relating to prayer. Number one, pray according to God's will. Um, you know, this, this one's fun to me. This one's fascinating to me because sometimes we just don't know what God's will is. And sometimes God's will is a whole lot different than, than our will. And John, 1 John 5.14 puts it like this. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Guys, I want you to really jot that verse down, because this is a great hermeneutical moment for you. Because you always interpret Scripture in light of what? Scripture. Somebody says, well, the Bible says just ask anything you want. Jesus says, ask anything you want, and he gives it to you. And you're like, well, hold on just a second. You also got to read 1 John 5, 4, it's, if it's his will. Okay. Because he said, you ask anything according to my will, then I will grant it to you. Sometimes God does not answer our prayers because it's not his will. He, he wants to do something better. Okay. He wants to protect us and do something uh, bigger. Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, thy what? Be done. Thy will be done. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, 39 says, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Okay? Your will uh, be done. You know, Scripture reveals to us what the will of God is. And that's why in the early church, and even through church history, they would actually pray the Scriptures. By the way, that's a safe thing. <laughs> this is God's will. And if you start praying His Word, I think He has a sweet affinity uh, with that. 
God will answer our prayers to him. Sometimes he says, you've heard this before. Sometimes he says yes. And man, when he says yes, we are shouting happy saints, aren't we? Sometimes God says what? No. And then God says sometimes you need to hold on. You know, you need to, you need to wait. You need to persevere in prayer. But we should always pray that his will be done. Why? This acknowledges on our part that God is sovereign. We are not. And we trust him because, as a preacher friend of mine told me one time, God's just smarter than you. God's just smarter than us. He just knows far more than what, than what we know. Guys, when we get to heaven, God, you remember, you remember that? And God says, well, let me show you something. And then we go, oh, my, oh, my word. I had no idea. He would say, I know, I'm God. You're not God. You know. There's some things that are mysterious. And some things I beg God for, and I'm like, God, do you hear me? It's like that. My prayers are going just to the great hall ceiling. They're not going any further. Or the heavens are as brass. And I'm not, I'm not getting through, but, but you really are. And I, I, it's just going to be so awesome in heaven where God makes all things new and we, we see him, we understand more clearly. But in the meantime, we are on our face before God, praying and being, being faithful. Let's talk about praying in faith for just a couple minutes. What does it mean to pray in faith? Well, Mark eleven twenty four 24 says this. <clears throat> Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, come on now, Great Hills. What does that say? Believe. Believe that you receive them, and you will have them. Okay? Now, 1 John 5, we, we get that according to his will. James 4, 2 says that we do not have because we what? We do not ask. Um, i tell you, two of the best books I've ever read on prayer are The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson and The Insanity of God. It's just amazing. Those two books are amazing books for believers on the importance of, of prayer. In fact, uh, the, the, the circle maker is how Ken Ham has come into to Great Hills. It was just a direct, supernatural answer from God in prayer. And, and that's, how, that's how he's coming. Um, but the insanity of God, I just, man, I, I'm just so... By the way, I almost say you, you really don't need to read that book because I've preached the whole book just about, you know. You know, somebody came up to me the other day and they said, Pastor, you shared that exactly the way it says it in the book. I said, well, well thank you. That's where I got it. You know, that, that, was, that was my material. I've shared this story before, but I, I want to share it with you one more time. Nick, Nick Ripkin is talking about in China, and he has 170 house church leaders, and they're on this farm, and, and, and man, they're in seclusion and isolation. And, and because, and it's not that many years ago, in fact, even today, there's extreme persecution of the church in China. Uh, if I were to give you a pop test and say, which country is the most hotly persecuted of believers? Is it China, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, or North Korea? It's North Korea. North Korea is the most difficult place today to be a Christian. They are being butchered. And they are being unbelievably persecuted, according to Open Doors, what I was listening to the, the other day. Here these believers are in China, and they're fearful for their lives, right? Doing exactly what we're doing right here today. 
And Nick Ripkin talks to him about the persecution of the, of the church, and he mentions two Islamic countries where they are being so persecuted. And by the way, y'all know North Korea is not an Islamic country. It is an atheist, secular, humanistic country. Dictatorship. And they're persecuting them more even than, than Islam. Hard to believe. So he gives them the names of these two countries, and, and they're just sitting there, the 170, and they're listening to him, and then they go, okay. And he goes, well, guys, I'm tired. I'm going to go to bed. And he goes to bed. As the story goes, at 6 o'clock the next morning, he hears the, 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 the shouting, the hollering, almost howling. I mean, going, oh, my word, they found us. The secret police have found us. He jumps up out of his bed. He runs into the courtyard, and all 170 of them are holding their face before God, and they're praying. They're praying, and all he, he doesn't speak Chinese, but he knows, he knows the names of those countries. And all he could hear were the names of those countries, the names of those countries. And they said, uh, Nick, we have made a commitment before God that we're going to get up an hour early every day until Jesus reigns in those countries. An hour early every day, just praying in faith that God would work supernaturally. Mm, I read stories like that. It, just, it, it, it challenges me. And here's what Grudem says. He says, Biblical faith is never a wishful thinking or a vague hope that does not have any secure foundation to rest upon. It is rather trust in a person, God Himself, based on the fact that we take Him at His word and we believe what He said. Mm. Mm. Well, I'm not going to get near as far as I'd planned, so I'm going to stop at prayer and obedience. Okay, we're going to talk about prayer and obedience, uh, C. And so we'll stop right now, because I do definitely want us to close in prayer, but I want to ask you if you have any comments, uh, questions, insights, jewels of wisdom. If you want to explain the Trinity in 30 words or less, go ahead. You want to explain the old earth, new earth debate in a couple of minutes, go ahead. No, of course we can't. It's impossible. Uh, it's a lot of mystery, isn't there? Have you ever heard this statement, the more I know, the more I realize how much I, I don't know? So we've got five minutes. Any, any comments or any questions or maybe even an example of prayer and God doing something powerful in your life? Anything? You have the floor for a total of five minutes. Yes, ma'am. Carol, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And as I'm, I'm standing up here, and um, you know, I used to hear my pastor say, "Now I'm talking to some people that how, how did he say? He says you you walk with God more than I do. You love God. You know your your faith is is challenging to me, inspire me. 
As I look out over this morning, I, I could say the same thing. You, Bob Gorham is a man of prayer. He's just a man of God. He has this mosaic glow about him, all right? And then Ross Hartsfield is a man of God, a man of prayer. And, I, and it's, it's just awesome to be, okay, God, you're awesome. It's wonderful to be a part of a, a church family with so many godly men and women who seek uh, the, the face of, of God in, in prayer. So Psalm 91, Carol, is what I was thinking when you were talking where he gives his cha- angels charge over you and you will not s- stumble and he watches over. Really? Hey, guys, November the 10th, you may, you may want to mark that day down in your, in your day. Uh, Lieutenant General Bruce Wright is coming and his wife, Carrie, they're going to speak to our veterans November the 10th. We're going to have a big Veterans Day celebration honoring our military. And General Wright's going to speak to us. And he is um, it's just going to be great. I can't, I can't wait till he comes. He's a three-star general. I led him to Christ when he was 52 years old. And I baptized him and his daughter. And we have been friends ever since then. And it had not, he and Rumsfeld disagreed so much he would have even gone further like in a four-star he's just a three-star i know he's a three-star general i'm telling you this is one of the most humble sharp men you, you will ever meet and he's he's coming and and he told kathy the other day he said oh, i'm coming but i don't i don't want the church to pay for anything i'm just i'm just coming i mean i like these people they want to come they don't even want to charge us anything mike said amen under his breath but yeah that's uh that's impressive oh i we're trying to get the word out. I, okay, I'm, I'm not supposed to be talking so much. Why, you got a question. You got a comment. I'll, we got a couple more minutes. Anybody? Yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, one of the simple things that give me fill my faith and prayer. Uh, examples. Uh, at Old Allendale, we had a prayer chapel. You go in there, spend your time. Uh, I'd go in and see somebody that was in the hospital and was on my way home, so I'd, I'd pray and I'd go down there and run in and visit with them. So I went down there on this occasion and hopped out of my car, ran up and did a visitation with them and prayed with them. Went back to them and I had locked my keys in the car. Yeah. I said, oh Lord, here I am trying to do the right things and look what happened. And I tried to get a coat hanger, I went back in the hospital, got a coat hanger, came back out and couldn't work it. I said, Lord, please help me. And somebody touched me on my shoulder. He said, could you hold this a minute? And I said, yes, sir. He said, I said, who are you? He said, I'm a master locksmith. Hmm. <laughs> he went in in two turns with that little piece of wire. He popped my door open. Wow. But it, That's amazing. You just ask. And he, he, he does that sometimes. And sometimes he, uh, he, he does something else. So here's what I want to do. We've got a minute left. And... As, as we leave, I just want you to grab somebody, somebody close by, and just say a quick prayer for them. In fact, Herb and uh, Vivian, we're going to pray together. We're going to be a little team of prayer. We're just going to pray real quick. This is not a time to catch up on your quiet time, all right? This is not a lengthy prayer. This is just a quick prayer. You know, Felix, Michael, y'all may just want to grab each other and just, just pray. That's a, that's a wonderful family, too. Father, son, family right there. So, Let's, let's do that. Let's pray for each other, and then you're dismissed. All right? Unless you just got to go. It's 745. Want to be honor your time. If you need to go, then, then please go.